Well, I want to thank you all for tuning in to the BFA audio blog. I am Keith Johnson, unplugged, unedited, and free to say whatever I feel led to say. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you this week, especially in light of the fact that I have completed a major, 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 major goal. I just finished a a 100-hour intensive at Hebrew University. And in fact, what I want to do is I want to actually dedicate this audio blog to a really important question. I'm calling it Why Hebrew? Why Now? You're listening to BFAinternational.com's audio blog available on iTunes. I, like I said, this is Keith Johnson. I've got the key maker who is our producer. He is on Skype. I am in Israel, just in the city of Jerusalem right now. And I want to just say to everyone, I appreciate the fact that you're taking the time to listen. To my friends in Charlotte, it's my understanding, based on what I just heard from the keymaker, that in the last couple days, there has been a snowstorm in Charlotte. Is, it, am I, is this correct, keymaker? A snowstorm in Charlotte. And I, I mean, they're calling it the storm of the ages. Now, I'm thinking a snowstorm in Charlotte's like one or two inches. It's my understanding. And I spoke to my wife, Andrea, Last night, and she was concerned. She said that they were saying there could be anywhere from five to six inches. Keymaker, what kind of a snowstorm do they have in Charlotte right now? Give me some kind of sense of what we're talking about here. You've got to be kidding me. Okay, here's the deal. I'm in Jerusalem. You're in Charlotte. The folks are in Charlotte. People are listening to Charlotte. It's my understanding they've shut down the schools. It's a snow day. Before I get started on this BFA international audio blog, I want to offer something, I think, for my friends and for anybody who's stuck in the snow right now, because I'm not stuck in the snow. I'll be honest with you. It was beautiful here in Jerusalem. I spent the entire day out speaking to people of all sorts of different backgrounds and circumstances. I could talk a lot about that. But what I want to do is, do you think there's any way, Keymaker, we could do some sort of special snow day opportunity for people? I mean, for the people in Charlotte. I mean, I'm from Charlotte. I feel for the people in Charlotte, they're stuck at home. What if they had some things that they could listen to? What if they had some things they could read? What if there's some things that they could, you know, to to, to help them uh, to get through this difficult time? Let's do something special. Let's come up with some sort of like snow day sale or something. Could could you? Okay, folks, if you're listening to this right now, from now for the next couple days, in honor of my family and friends in Charlotte, we're going to do a BFA International Snow Day Sale. Okay, what do you think? What do you, I mean, what kind of percentage are you thinking, Keymaker? I mean, what do you think? Is this is this a big sale? Is this twenty five percent? Are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> folks, he's okay. He's he's. I was thinking more like ten percent. What? Okay, all right. It's a thirty percent discount. Snow Day Sale at BFAInternational.com, the store. I, I, what, which things are we going to put on? What, what do you think? I mean, a couple. Let's do a couple things. I tell you what. I'm in, I'm in Jerusalem right now working on the second series of Time Will Tell based on the seventh month. You all, if you know anything about the seventh month, the High Holy Day, some people call it. Amazing revelation coming out of Jerusalem regarding the seventh month. In fact, it's a result of finishing my course. I'm now working on the next thing and I got to tell you what I'm what I'm what I'm uncovering right now is amazing so this is going to be what we're going to call a a a a an honor for our friends in Charlotte and the south that are dealing with snow it's a BFA snow day sale
Well, folks, it is my honor to be able to do that. It's a great idea on part of the uh, a part of the keymaker. He uh, he thinks it's a, it's a good idea. I think it's a great idea. It's only going to last for a couple days, folks, and we got to get back to uh, trying to do something to keep this thing going. But for right now, we want to do a Charlotte Snow Day sale. It's available right now. BFAInternational.com. The the Time Will Tell series, series one, right now, thirty percent off. In fact. Also, the clock crisis, which is connected to series one of Time Will Tell, also 30% off. Push some buttons, make it happen, Keymaker, so that when people are listening to this, they know that they can do that. And by the way, folks, we already have some amazing opportunities in the BFA store. There's so much there uh, that, that's available, and it's already <laughs> quite discounted. So if you, if you get this, you're basically... Uh, no, I'm not saying it's highway robbery. I'm just saying that it's, 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 I mean, you must be like, uh, what do they call that when you get stuck in in, in, in like a, a house and you, you start going stir crazy or something? What's that called, Keymaker? When you you get in, you, you know, you want to get outside, but you're stuck. What, what, what is that called? Cabin fever. I'd call it the cabin fever sale, but that's OK. We'll call it the Charlotte Snow Day sale available right now for the next few days. Hey, let's get right into this. Uh, the, the topic of the hour. I'm calling this audio blog, Why Hebrew? Why Now? I, I got to be honest with you. I, I have, for the last few years, come in contact with people that say Hebrew is, Hebrew is important. And, and certainly, I, I believe that it's, it is important. But I got to be honest with you. I think that there's sometimes where we miss the real importance of Hebrew and we get into some things that I don't think are necessarily integral to the actual Hebrew language. Now, what I'm going to try to do uh, right now, and, and, and folks, I've had some, some things that have happened in the last uh, few weeks regarding the importance of the language that are just amazing. I wish I could talk all for the next, you know, just hours about everything that I learned over the last, uh, over the last few weeks as a, as a student at Hebrew University. But one of the things that I had a chance to do is to, uh, to have a lecture on the history of the language itself. And of course, uh, those that are familiar with the Hebrew language know that our present day script that we read, for example, in the Hebrew Bible, is not the original script of the actual language of Hebrew. Rather, it has been gone through a process uh, of growth, uh, transformation, so that the letters that we use now do not match the exact letters. They match them in, in meaning, but they do not match them in form. In fact, I got to tell a funny story, Keymaker. So I get to the first day of class. Now, here's this is really amazing. The professor opens up the class and won't speak English. I mean, I might have said this before, won't speak English. And so I'm listening. I mean, it's, it's a challenge because, you know, obviously my, my background is not that I'm around in Hebrew speaking people, though I've studied the language. You know, for me, this is now a formal way for me to study. So I'm, I'm listening the best that I can. And then we begin to write. And so I start writing, you know, you know, with the Hebrew alphabet based on the Bible, the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, you know, you, you see that if you open up a Hebrew Bible, you'll see the Aleph and you'll see the Beit. And my professor is walking around the room, checking everybody's work. And she stops and she says, I forbid you from writing in that script. No, I'm telling you, this is what happened. Like She stopped me in front. I forbid you from writing in that script. We are not writing in that script. We're writing in the modern Hebrew language script, which is called the cursive script. And I'll be honest with you, it's difficult to be able to read when you're used to reading the script that I'm used to reading to have to switch on the fly. And by the way, what we're doing is we're taking 100 hours of, 
of teaching in Hebrew, which normally is over an entire semester, and they're putting it those hundred hours and with about a three and a half day. So every single day is like you're on a some what I call a I don't know what to call it, but she forbade me from using that. In fact, there were a couple times, Keymaker, where I made a mistake on the test. And instead of putting a bait like there is in the Bible, I used, I'm sorry, instead of using the bait like there is in the modern Hebrew, I used the bait like there is in the Bible. She took off a point. No, I'm telling you what happened like two or three times. I slipped up. I was under pressure. I used the biblical script and she took off a point. So instead of getting 100, I got like a 95. Okay, I'm not trying to brag. But the bottom line is I was pushed to the brink in this class. Well, we had a, uh, here, here's what happened. We had a lecture on the history of the Hebrew language. And I gotta tell you something, it was, it was so amazing. Now, for those who don't know, the present day modern Hebrew language is nothing short of a miracle. In the history of languages, there's never been a sacred language that became a national language. In the history of languages, there's never been a situation where you have a, a, a dead language becoming an alive and no example of it actually becoming, as I mentioned earlier, the national language. So literally, the Hebrew language, which was a dead language for the last couple thousand years, was resurrected. How was it resurrected? There were some people at different times, the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, who were committed to having Hebrew come back alive through the mouths of the people. Now, one of the most famous people is a man named Eliezer ben Yehuda. And what I love about his story is that Eliezer ben Yehuda, when he decided that he wanted to see this resurrection of the language, he began sort of like these Hebrew speaking clubs, very small. And then from there, he ended up making a trip to Palestine with his family, with his wife. And this is a great story, Keymaker. He tells his wife this. He says, my dear, when we get off this boat, it will be the last time that I speak to you in any other language than the Hebrew language. And so she was put into a crash course on Hebrew. He hadn't had children. And his children, he had one son and one daughter, and he, from the beginning of their birth, taught them the Hebrew language, never spoke in any other language other than that. Great story. He wanted to be able to have the children be able to speak to one another in the language of Hebrew. Now, the Hebrew language, you have to be male and female. In other words, when you say something, it's not like English. You know, in English, sometimes we could, hey, you da-da-da-da-da, and you don't know if that you is feminine or masculine. Well, in Hebrew, it's very clear if you're speaking to the feminine or the masculine. I could talk a lot about that. I'm not going to. But in the language of Hebrew, you got to be able to do male and female. So what he did for his children, uh, you're still with me, Keymaker, because this is, this, is, this is a great story. What he did for his children is he got them a dog and a cat. And the dog was the male and the cat was the female so that the, the daughter could speak to the cat female to female or to the dog, female to male, and the same thing. Well, story is, is that because they were teaching their kids this Hebrew language, but it was not popular in their community, the other children heard the sacred language being spoken to a dog. Now, now let me get this straight. Now, let me get this straight now. He's teaching his kids the Hebrew language. Now, the children had heard the, he, the Hebrew language in the, in the, in the, uh, um, the Beit Knesset, you know, when they go for Shabbat or when they'd have the high holy days, they would hear the language prayed. They would hear the language read, but never on the street. And then to hear a kid 
speak the holy language to a dog, they stoned the dog. I'm telling you what happened. They killed the dog because they said, what is, what are you doing teaching, you know, speaking this holy language to a dog? Long story short, uh, Eliezer ben Yehuda uh, began to get other people around uh, uh, the country speaking. He'd start clubs. But it's amazing. After 20 years, what they would do is they would ask people. They would say, hey, listen, uh, we want you to, to, to be able to commit to being able to speak only Hebrew. And so they would make them make a, 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 a commitment. And the commitment would be only Hebrew. Well, guess what happens? After 20 years, his wife, who would bake a cake for each family that would make this commitment after 20 years, she only made the 10th cake after 20 years. In other words, there was no, no amazing movement, but it was an important movement that started right then. In fact, what we understand is that uh, uh, his son, whose name is Itamar ben Avi, the son of Eliezer ben Yehuda, he started a campaign after World War I that basically said that when the people were in the, in the, in the place of uh, Tel Aviv, I believe it was in Tel Aviv, he started a campaign where if you would hear someone speak in anything other than Hebrew, he, they would go to them and say, Yehudi deber ivrit. Yehudi deber ivrit, which means Jewish men speak Hebrew. And this actually took place. And so people around the country began to speak. Long story short, it ended up that this became the national language. It's now the language of the, of the land of Israel. Millions of people speak the language of Hebrew. And so it is, it is what I call, uh, not, not what I call, it's what the linguists call and people around the world call, literally a miracle that started in very small ways. But now everywhere you go in the land of Israel, wherever you're from, People are actually speaking Hebrew. So, as I mentioned, it's, it, it really is a it really is a nothing short of a miracle to have a language that was quote unquote dead be brought back alive, resurrected literally in the land of Israel. So, when you're here, you hear people from all over the world that are speaking this amazing language. Now, back to the lecture, the lecture with the professor when he's talking about the root of the Hebrew language. Uh, it, it was fascinating, a fascinating lecture. Got a chance to ask a lot of questions. And there's a very popular movement, obviously, that's taken place in, in the Hebrew roots movement where people talk about the word pictures of the Hebrew language. In fact, I, when I first was uh, re- excited about uh, relearning Hebrew after learning it in, in a seminary, it was a really cool thing to start dealing with the, the issue of the word pictures um, uh, in the Hebrew language. The problem is, however, there are some people that make that the only way that they study the language, which is actually does a disservice uh, to the language. But going back to the to the root of it, he did a powerful presentation on this, and um, and so I, I'll give you I'll just give you an example, Keymaker. I know you're you. I don't know if you know. Have you ever heard about the word pictures? Have you ever heard about the word pictures in the, in the Hebrew language that every letter is a picture, and and that from that people come up with all sorts of. You you, you have heard that. Well, the keymaker knows it's called Paleo Hebrew, which is excellent. So we had a lecture on Paleo Hebrew, which was amazing. And there's so many things that I could talk about. But I want to talk about just one, which has to do with this issue of word pictures. Now, again, I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing that uh, that the Hebrew language is both numerical. It actually is phonetic and it actually is this wonderful language where originally when it was written, the pictures actually were creating words so that when you have the word, for example, I'll give you an example. One of the letters is mem, which uh, which in Paleo Hebrew represents uh, the picture would be water. 
Now, here's here's the part that most people don't know, which I'm going to tell you, is that actually in the Egyptian language, mem, uh, this the sound m also is sort of created, but looks like water. So basically, the Egyptian language about six thousand years or so ago used the hieroglyphics. Where to this day, you can go and look at Egyptian language, and you can see that the, one of the pictures is what looks like uh, several m's together, which is water. Now, here's what's interesting: in the Hebrew language, we've got twenty-two letters which have these pictures. Now, what some people have done is they've gone past what the actual language means into the point of its its purpose of the sound of m m and crossed all that off and said, let's just deal with the word picture water. Now, here's here's where this gets <laughs> gets a little crazy. Sometimes people take these word pictures and do theology with them, which really becomes a problem. Now, I'm going to give you an example why this why this is important. Imagine this. Um, let's use this 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 letter M as a word picture. Imagine that 2000 years from now, they did a, uh, a, a search and they found this guy named Mr. Martinez. OK, it's called Mr. Martinez. Uh, that's just just a fictional guy. His name is Mr. Martinez. And they said, well, we know that M represents water and R represents head. So he would be called Waterhead. I'm like 2000 years from now, they went back and said, OK, everyone who has an M and an R before their name is called Waterhead. Now, you think, OK, present day, we'd say that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Better yet, they say this. We found a restaurant and the restaurant is represented by the ancient letter M. And come to find out that was a water restaurant. Now, we know it's McDonald's between you and me. But in the future, they'd look back and say, no, we found this amazing restaurant. It's all over the world. It, it's, it's got the picture of an M. It means that they served the best water in the world. In fact, everything they were about were water meals, water burgers, water. I mean, everything was water based on the picture of an M. Now, of course, that sounds ridiculous and it is ridiculous. And let me just say this. Uh, if you don't study the language as it was intended, you can get to some pretty ridiculous places that may be exciting but are not based on the intention of the language. What the professor said was this. The purpose of the M wasn't so much the picture. It was the sound. So, for example, when you see the the word picture M, you're supposed to be able to say mm, mm, like McDonald's or Mr. Versus let's come up with a deal that the first M means water and the second letter means head. So it's waterhead. It's ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. And to those who know Hebrew and to my professors and those that are studying the language, when I ask them about sort of this progression of the word pictures as a way to study the language, they they short of laughing. They just say you just can't do that because it breaks down. So I gave you an example. But let me give you now something really exciting that happened. And, and for those that do study uh, the word pictures, I'm like, I'm with you on that. I think it's a phenomenal thing. In fact, at Israel Museum, the first time I ever saw the word pictures was at Israel Museum. And there you'd see Aleph, you know, the ox, the head, the leader. And I mean, it's, it's, it, it really is fascinating. But you got to stop short of creating theology or making that the only place to study. Don't be offended. It's just the way that it is. Now, let me end with this. I'm at Hebrew University. I'm the only Methodist there, Keymaker. And in fact, not only am I the only Methodist there, I'm the only brown Methodist there. OK, 
if you if you know what I mean. I mean, there are people from around the world, literally in my class alone, we were at level five or something. Uh, there were about seven countries represented. Well, then the second day I look outside and I see a van pull up and, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, I looked out and out of the van comes about seven or eight African men and they're coming into the building, this international school where we're learning Hebrew. And after about a day or so, we finally got a chance to kind of talk. And so I'm talking to these men and I said, so where are you from? They said, from Africa. What part of Africa? We represent six countries. Why are you at Hebrew University studying language? Now, they were in the very beginning level, many of them in the very beginning level of understanding the Hebrew language. It's, 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 long, it's, it's complicated, but basically they were there in the beginning. Over time, I got a chance to talk to them. At Keymaker, could I do something? I, You know what? I actually did something. Rather than me telling you the story, can I bring you and the listeners to my interaction with these eight African men from six African countries who came to Hebrew University specifically to learn this language and why they came to learn this language has blessed my heart. Let's take a listen right now to what happened when I brought my trusty BFA audio blog uh, recorder to talk to my eight African friends. Okay, go ahead. Mm -hmm. My friends, hey, I met you here at the Rothberg International School. Yes. Tell me what countries you're from. Michat. Burkina Faso. Ivory Coast. Burkina Faso. Togo. Okay, so you're from different countries, right? Yeah. Yes. Why are you here learning Hebrew? Okay, I'm here to learn Hebrew in order to translate the Old Testament or the whole Bible in my language, in yeah. Ife, from okay. to my people in Togo. Mm -hmm. okay. You know, mm. we have 60 ethnic groups, and ethnic groups need to hear the word of God, so we are here to learn Hebrew, to translate the Bible in this language. How long have you been people. waiting to come here? How long? Yes. Six months. Six months? You've yeah. been here six months? Yeah. Yes. Okay, how long have you been waiting? Like, what if you've been, you've been praying for it and wanting to come to, to Hebrew University? Okay, many people are praying for us, and we are, we are here to learn Hebrew in order to mm. translate more better the Bible in our mother tongue. Okay. It's because many of our people couldn't uh, understand okay. French or English. English. That's why so. it's important for okay. us to is translate the Bible. Is it true that in some countries there are more than 10 language di dialects? Yes. Mm -hmm. it's 30 true. dialects? Yes. 50 dialects? Yes. For yes. example, in Togo we have 42 dialects. In one country? We have 60. Yes. 60? 60. Burkina yeah. Faso. Yes. If you travel from your place and you're speaking in your mother tongue, how many miles will you travel until you will be someone speaking another tongue? In my country, when I travel around uh, 200 kilometers, it's impossible to find another uh, yeah. another man who speak the same language that, like no, me. No. It's the same, the same case if, if you, in if my country, called Ivory Coast. If you would travel less than... Less um, uh, 100 miles. Okay. okay. Cannot. Cannot. Uh, yeah, the 126 uh, um, language. 
126. Is it true that you're creating alphabet for some of the dialects? Yes, yes. We have, in, for example, in my language, you have already created the alphabet, and we have the syllables, and we are doing with the literacy to mm. yeah to teach my people to li to read and to talk better to speak better their language okay. well, I'm going to ask uh, you this question my, sorry sorry in oh. my mother tongue we have 38 letters yeah we use <laughs> to write wow 38 yeah, 38 mm -hmm. okay now yeah. this is my How's question mm -hmm. why don't you just use the english bible to give to the people english is not the original language of the bible yeah, yeah. 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 It's, not the it's not the original english yeah. Yeah. Uh, wait you want to you you want to learn the you want to you're here to learn the original language yes. of the old testament yes. 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 you understand that source. it's a difficult the source yes you want to understand the source yes mm. because so the bible the, the english bible yeah. app is fault and no, not false, but it is a translation. So we no, can, to, we to can take a translator to translate it in a half. No. Ah, ah, wait a yes. So you come source. all the way to the original. Oh, wait a minute. Source. You want yeah. to go to the source? Yes. Original. 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 Okay, so you're Hebrew. here for how long? For six months. Six months. Six months. And there are how many countries represented in this group? Six, six, six countries, eight, yes. men eight men who will come here yeah. and they will learn the Hebrew language for six, six months, months. Yeah. and they will translate six, it in the dialogue. Yeah. Yes. Really? Let's give God praise. Amen. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Okay, now I want you guys to do me one last thing. Mm -hmm. I want you for one second. To speak to each other now is the littlest language you know in Hebrew, like shalom, hello. Mm -hmm. Okay, now go to speak to each other in Hebrew. Okay. Go ahead, speak, say hello. Manish, to each other. Manish. Shalom. Ani Somme. Ani Serge. Ani Burkina Faso. Veata. Ani Bayami Mechat. Toda. Toda. Ah, Yafe. Yafemeo. Toda. Toda. Okay, so you can see why that was so exciting to me. Here these men are. They are from different backgrounds, but they're all committed to being able to translate the, t the part of them, the Hebrew Bible, which is the, 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 uh, the Old Testament, quote unquote. They want to be able to translate it from Hebrew into the dialect of the people. Now, let me tell you why this is so exciting and why I, I got to be honest with you, Keymaker. I'm, I, I, you know, I was so blessed to see them because if you understood what they're committed to, they're going to be at Hebrew University for six months. The first part of their time there is specifically to learn the modern Hebrew language. Then for over four months, they're going to be studying biblical Hebrew with a professor who is dedicated only to teach these eight African men biblical Hebrew. Now, these men happen to come from Christian backgrounds. A few of them are pastors. Some of them are theologians. Some of them are translators. But they all love God and they love the people and they want to go through the hard work and excuse my excitement. They want to go through the hard work of giving their people the Hebrew Bible in their language, direct from Hebrew into the, now it's difficult. Translation is always difficult, but their point is, we don't want to do any shortcuts. Now for those who, who oftentimes are so negative against my Christian brothers and sisters, 
the pastors, the churchmen, the theologians, these people that that and sometimes get such a bad rap. I got to tell you something. What they're doing right now is such a commitment to their love of God. And when they talk about their ministry, when they think about Jesus, Yeshua, who many of us call Yeshua, and they think about what he did and how he did it and how he walked and sending people into Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, here these men are coming from the ends of the earth to the very land where they, for them, this is their first time in Israel. So they're overwhelmed. First thing that happens, they go into a class and the teacher's speaking in Hebrew and they're learning Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Why? Because they believe they're called to give people an opportunity to interact with the Hebrew Bible to the best of their ability and getting it into the language that they would understand. How can you not honor those men? How can you not honor the mission that they're on? I challenge anyone that's negative towards men like that to go through what they're going through. You have no idea the commitment that it takes. Now, I'll tell you what I think is really happening. And I'll close this off. I think the father's doing something that's amazing. In fact, one of our professors said this 15, 20 years ago. A lot of the people that were coming to understand Hebrew, many of them were from Israel as they were. You know, they wanted to learn more are from from Russia are from Germany. Now, guess where most of the people are coming from? People are coming from the United States. People are coming from Africa. People are coming from Korea for one purpose, to get a hold of the language in its original context. And it's exciting Hebrew University that they now have people from around the world, specifically places like Korea. One of my friends on from Korea couldn't speak much English at all, said his head was hurting, not because he was physically sick, but he was overwhelmed. And after a week, he got into it. He put his hands into it and he's going to take that back. And why did he come? He wants to be able to read the Bible as it was written, the Hebrew scriptures as it was written and be able to help others to do the same. Let me tell you what I think is happening. And I will close with this. There is a wonderful verse. And if you would open your Bibles, if you have it, or if you, if you don't just stop the recording right now and open up the Tanakh to a wonderful verse. I love this verse. It's in Zephaniah. And I'm not even going to ask you to have to find this key maker. I've got my Bible here. I'm in Jerusalem right now, folks. And I got to tell you something. I'm in the land of the language. I'm with the people of the language. This is the language of the prophets. This is the language that when Moses uh, heard the words from God, God could have spoken in German. He could have spoken in, in, in Swahili. He could, but for some reason, he chose the Hebrew language. And that language has then been translated and brought throughout the world. And now people from around the world with a dead language have now come back to the land. Millions of people are speaking the language of Isaiah, the prophets of Yeshua. They're speaking the language. And now people are learning it everywhere. Here's what I think is happening. It's prophetic. It's a call to what's going to happen in the future. It says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, these words. Then will I purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name Yehovah. And what I love about it what I love about this is that if I open up my Hebrew Bible, and I, I, I tell you what, you all do this for me. Check if you can with the tools. Check if you can what it says in Hebrew. It'll bless your socks off. What I love about it is it's happening now. 
He's purifying the language of those in Africa. Many of those in Africa, they did not have a clue about the Hebrew Bible. All they had is what they were given. And what I love about the testimony of these eight men, they've said, hey, we appreciate, we appreciate what the missionaries did. They gave us a chance to interact at one level. Now we want to get it for ourselves and give it to our people. How can you not honor that? I'll tell you what I believe that right now we are at a time in history like no other time where people around the world are coming into an encounter with the father whom Yeshua talked about all the time. And it is this father whom we want to honor, whom we want to love, whom we want to encounter in a way that can change our lives. I pray that those of you that are listening would be inspired to dig a little deeper, that those that are listening would be willing to check a little further. But whatever you do, I would like to challenge you to keep listening to keep reading and even keep watching and we will keep working.